Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. One of the most respected and experienced broadcasters in the industry, this is The Roy Green Show. track to having to spend 30 to 40 million dollars uh, in the coming years uh, fighting and settling uh, a case that we were destined to lose. You do remember that, don't you? Uh, the Prime Minister saying that if we didn't pay Omar Cotter 10.5 million that it would cost us 30 or $40 million, and uh, we were going to lose that case. The ever-prescient Justin Trudeau, who knows what the courts are going to do before it even gets to court. Now, this isn't any sort of play to get Justin Trudeau back into the bad books, if he ever got out of the bad books. This is just the way the show evolved today, because there is a story, in fact, there's more than one story, that seems to relate to Omar Cotter and seems to relate to Omar Khadr in the sense that convicted terrorists appear to have learned well that there's money available from patsy Western governments. And in the United States and the United Kingdom, terrorists, convicted terrorists, are suing governments or preparing to sue, sue governments or threaten to sue governments because they say their rights are being manipulated and being sort of taken away from them. Uh, just reading a story here. Another terrorist sues the Bureau of Prisons from IPT News. You'll love this. You will absolutely love this. Not, not the guy, but you'll love this. Recently, underwear bomber Umar Farouk Abdul Mutalab filed a lawsuit says not only are his religious rights being violated, the suit claims, but the conditions of his confinement, quote, prohibit him from having any communication whatsoever with more than 7.5 billion people, the vast majority of people on this planet. So he's upset and he's suing because he can't communicate with 7.5 billion people. Now, I don't know how that lawsuit will go forward and how many witnesses they would call and what's likely to happen, but in the U.K. and in the U.S., convicted terrorists are suing governments or preparing to sue governments because they can't have it their way. Scott Newark is with us, former Alberta Crown Attorney and a former Executive Officer of the Canadian Police Association. Scott also served as a Senior Policy Advisor to a Federal Minister of Public Safety and he's an adjunct professor at Simon Fraser University. So I, uh, I, I'm not surprised, Mr. Newark, but when I look at this developing on both sides of the Atlantic, there's communication going on that uh, in England and, and the U.S. and God knows where else, 
convicted terrorists are saying, hey, there's money to be had, and Omar proved it to us. So what's your, just to give us an overall perspective, yours, on what's going on. Yeah, this is, this is a, a complicated issue. And actually, the author of the uh, column that you cited, Patrick Dunleavy, I uh, first had interactions with him when I was working in Washington in 2005 with the Investigative Project on Terrorism. And Patrick was working for the uh, New York State Department of Prisons, and he essentially was the person who uh, discovered and started exposing what was the infiltration of the prison system by Islamist groups. And the article that he is uh, writing, or that you cited that he uh, is writing, is just one other aspect of that, where individuals who are in custody, having been convicted of terrorism offenses, one of the uh, manifestations, if you will, of uh, what they do and the threat that they pose is what you're describing. They have realized um, that uh, they view this as a potential weakness. And in this case, what he is suing on about is the prison restrictions on his, quotation marks, religious activities, uh, which the prison officials correctly are restricting because of their concerns about radicalizing other people inside prisons, which is a known fact. That is one of the major areas of radicalization in prisons in uh, all around the world, um, and also literally a threat to the security of either uh, other inmates or of uh, uh, prison officials. And so these guys have figured out, you know, that our system, and, and in particular, Roy, it's made even more difficult that the uh, the threat, uh, which is actually very similar uh, to a gang inside the prison culture, that's been noted many, many times, uh, that they have, because it's founded in a religious ideology and because we cherish, you know, freedom of religion, they're using this as an attack tool against uh, the larger system so as to be able to get what they want because they think we'll be too politically correct to defend it. And in the, in the UK, and I absolutely concur with what you've said. You have more, much more knowledge than I do, but I've also been reading for some period of time now that there's a lot of uh, uh, conversion attempts being yes. made to uh, to get people in, who are in prison for something else to join the terrorist cause. Or yeah, join and people people don't necessarily appreciate this, but this go- actually goes back. Uh, when the discovery of this first came uh, uh, to the uh, spotlight, uh, post 9-11, and it was of a guy named Abdurrahman al-Mahdi, and uh, he, was, uh, he was actually ultimately convicted of terrorism-relation offenses in relation to potentially uh, killing a Saudi prince founded by, uh, or funded by uh, uh, Muammar Gaddafi. But what was discovered as they were going through this guy's information and his connections was that actually he was part of a larger-term Muslim Brotherhood plot to infiltrate both the military and the prison systems and get their extremists into being, you know, uh, the quotation mark, Muslim chaplains. And it was discovered after the fact that this is something that had been ongoing. And Patrick Dunleavy, the guy who wrote that column, was one of the people that helped expose all of this. And it was being used, literally there was a recognition that this was a potential recruiting source both by conversion and as well by radicalization of people inside prisons who would then be released and continue their connections. And that's been identified on different groups that exist currently uh, around the world, including in the United States, I should add, 
as well, too. And that's why this is a significant threat. The good news is, two pieces of good news, if I could say. Number one is um, that we do actually have the evidence. And so what should be happening here is that if you run into a lawsuit like this or a situation like this or a complaint, you go to the adjudication process and call the necessary evidence that it does exist to show why it is that officials are taking the actions they are to restrict uh, the, these kinds of activities that have negative public safety consequences and officer safety consequences. The second piece of good news, I think, this is something I've been involved in uh, going back even to 2008 as well, too. I helped, I was doing some work in Trinidad and Tobago and helped connect with our uh, Correctional Service of Canada officials, internal preventive security officers, intelligence unit of Correctional Service of Canada. Uh, we've done a pretty good job in Canada, in my assessment, of how we're actually dealing with this. We recognize that the potential threat is there. We've had one case example in particular about it. But I think we are actually uh, out in front of it in this by candidly acknowledging this is a potential threat and demonstrating the willingness to be able to say, no, we're not going to just bend into political correctness. Mm. Well, there was a story not so long ago, or maybe a year or two ago, that had to do with chaplains and prisons in Canada, and there were complaints that the chaplains were Christian. And then the, if I remember correctly, you probably have more information on this than I do, but they changed that. The, uh, the, the Christian chaplains were removed, were they not? There has been an ongoing uh, change in this over the, uh, the last decade or Maybe so. Maybe it was Kingston. There was, they reduced, actually, the um, uh, Muslim um, uh, imam uh, program. Then they also, you're quite correct, they did actually reduce that as well, too. It's something that has been ongoing. Yeah. But the... Um, so, so, Scott, why are we paying so much attention to these people? And by these people, I mean the convicted terrorists. I understand that our prime minister seems to have an affinity and a particular um, affection for certain individuals and is interested in protecting them. I, I, I don't understand why, but I understand that he's doing that. I've seen, you know, we've covered the stories. Now, why, when you have somebody who has been convicted of a criminal offense, of, a, of, a, of an offense of terrorism, why do they even, and I, ha I know what the answer is, but please humor me, why do they even have access to the outside world? Why do they have access to sue for, you know, for millions of dollars because they say their rights have been violated? You've been convicted of one of the most heinous crimes that exists in humanity. Nobody wants to hear from you again, or at least in our societies, we don't want to hear from you again. Shut the door, close them off, let their voices never be heard again. Well, that's not the society we live in, is it? No, I know. I know okay. that. Both I from that. The, the, legislate, the governing legislation, the Corrections and Conditional Release Act, as well as the, as the Charter. No, I get it. But you tell me what's wrong with what I said. Um, well, because it's, it's frankly contrary to the balancing of interests that is the law and the uh, uh, culture of uh, Canada. And it's been reinforced no, but by... but what's wrong with what I said? Well too. But that's the point, Roy, is that it is a balancing of interests. Mm. And... We need to, and I think we are doing a pretty good job of it, actually, of recognizing the reason that we need to take these restrictions uh, is because of the nature of the threat that's involved. As I always put it, um, you know, uh, check your rights at the door. They'll be waiting for you on the, uh, the way out. But you do not get to exercise all of your rights the same way. What was it? As, as a non-convicted individual living... That's right. That's what they said. That's yes. what Correctional Terms Service okay, Canada don't get said. To, but, unconvicted. Yes, but what we do has to be done in the context 
an evidence Yeah, based- but Scott, we used to say that when the first-degree murderers had a right to Section 745. Right. Yeah, now now that's been taken away, so we there's... There's, yes. Yeah, we changed it. There's nothing that says we cannot say to somebody who's been convicted of a, of a terror, an offense of terrorism, we're never going to hear from you again. Rights? Forget it. Well, it, it's not... No, I know. Don't, don't I make know, the assumption, though, that we're not taking proactive uh, uh, measures. Uh, the one case in particular was a guy, uh, was one of the Toronto 18. Actually, he I had involvement with his case before the Toronto 18 arrest, Ali Mohamadiri, mm-hmm. and the people... At Correctional Service of Canada, the intelligence group that I mentioned, they recognized what he was doing and took measures to stop it. Do you remember when the individuals, there was the half dozen or so that were under security certificates as well, too? Yeah. On terrorism grounds, we had them in special facilities. Yeah. Precisely because there okay. is a legal justification to take special measures. All right, so let me raise this point, then we'll take a break and answer the question when we come back, please. In the U.K., Prison officials have special segregated housing units for convicted terrorists. But they're not being used because officials fear the terrorists will sue for their human rights being violated. We'll come back with Scott Newark, former Crown Attorney, former Executive Officer of the Canadian Police Association. He's an adjunct professor now at uh, Simon Fraser University. He was also a security advisor to the federal government and to the uh, government of Ontario. That's prior to the liberals, who are now not even a not even an official party. And I have to say this: I've been receiving email after email asking me, "What do you think should Doug Ford?" I was going to talk about this earlier and got into other things. Should Doug Ford grant the liberals official party status in Ontario? No. Proudly Canadian and making Canada proud. This is the Roy Green Show. Let's go back to Scott Newark, former Crown Attorney in Alberta. And uh, adjunct professor at Simon Fraser University. So my question was, I can't remember what the question was, but answer it, please. Let me push the button. Click them on here. Go ahead, Scott. They act the way uh, that they do. Uh, And there was a story about that, that the British had, uh, at least one branch of government had uh, essentially recognized the nature of the threat we've been discussing. And so they created special facilities. But the other, another branch of the government decided, as you say, uh, oops, if we actually put these people in there, somebody might say that we're being discriminatory. So, in fact, they weren't taking the necessary steps to take advantage of the specialized circumstances that they had created. And this takes us back to the very first thing you said, and that's the concern about these individuals being able to get to and affect the thinking of other prisoners who are not in there for any terrorist-related activities and convert them into their way of thinking, but yeah, you can't. But you can't put them into the special housing that was created for them to avoid exactly that kind of thing because you might be violating their human rights. Or we have because, lost our collective minds. And, and and I think even worse, whether you actually, because uh, I don't think you are. Uh, and you'll notice when you talk about civil rights and civil liberties, the modifier of the words rights and liberties is civil. In other words, it's that which exists in the context of a civil society. 
And that's why I say the evidence definitely exists to demonstrate why we are taking the measures that we are. But you've got to have the backbone to be able to be willing to go to court and actually defend it. Yeah. And when I read that article about the British, I just rolled my eyes because that has the feel of sort of bureaucrats that don't want anybody to challenge them because it might not look good on their career advancement sheet. You know what it looks? It sounded to me like somebody saying we had to pay him now because if we didn't pay him now, we'd be paying him 20 or $30 million a few years from now. Well, you know... That is something that, uh, as I say, when I saw, I, I was, when I was a prosecutor, I was involved in a, a case involving bikers, and it was about them getting a firearms acquisition uh, permit. And I won't go into all the details, but the bottom line was, um, I helped direct the police to say no. The guy was a member of a bike gang or a criminal organization. Turn it down. And we went to court and fought it. And we called the expert evidence, and we got, and the judge agreed and gave us the ruling supporting that. It's that same kind of strategy that needs to be taken here. And one of the things that I think is so frustrating about people, for people in Canada in relation to uh, the Prime Minister's um, actions on uh, Omar Khadr uh, is that he just you know, rolled over and we never went to court. We never took the opportunity to explain why it was that our officials did what they did and instead just cut the guy a check. That's what I think is at the core of what so many people find frustrating. Because the evidence, and we'll go back to the prison issue, the evidence exists to demonstrate why we are doing what we are mm-hmm. doing and why it's reasonable and justifiable. But you've got to be willing to go to court and get in the fight and defend what's right. Yeah. Now, we, you and I have had a, an ongoing feature that pops up every now and then, and it's called Just Another Week in the Canadian Justice System. So you sent me an email a couple of days ago, just another week in the Canadian justice system, and from the Vancouver Sun, let me just read the first line. If a federal court judge has ruled that a United Nations gang associate should be allowed out of immigration detention pending his deportation to Iraq, what's up with that? Oh, it's insane. This is a guy uh, who's a non-citizen criminal. He was on bail for dealing drugs, and while on bail for dealing drugs, uh, he... uh, took a job with another gang to uh, do a hit on a guy, another gang member, and he did, and he shot him, but he didn't kill him. And so his bail was revoked, and then while he was in custody waiting trial on that one, he was convicted of the drug dealing and got, I think, like a three-year sentence. But when he was ultimately convicted of the shooting that he committed while he was on bail, uh, they gave him credit for the time that he served, even though he was actually serving a jail sentence. And so this guy goes into, you know, our prison system, and believe it or not, we actually release him early from his sentence. He's awaiting deportation. The CBSA has got the steps going to have him removed, and so he's in custody. And don't forget, released early from the jail sentence, and some uh, federal court judge decides, oh, well, that's not uh, very nice. Let's release him uh, while he's awaiting deportation. What? Like, that is just absolutely ridiculous. You talk about a misuse of the, uh, the discretion that is uh, provided. You constantly hear about people saying, oh, you know, the government shouldn't interfere with discretion of the judges and everything else. And I generally agree with that. But it's when you have boneheaded decisions like this. Okay. And by the way, what happens if this guy, for example, while he's out early on his sentence, Okay, that he should be deported for. What about if he hurt somebody else? I had a tough childhood. Yeah, right. I don't care. 
No, but that's what the, somebody will say something stupid like I that. I don't care. The well, I'm on your is, side. He can be removed, and he doesn't have to be yes, removed sir. early. So let's use the legal tools yes, that we have and get people like this off our streets. Good talking to you. As always, Mr. Newark, thanks for the time, Scott. All right, Roy. Take Bye-bye. care. Scott Newark on The Green Show.